0: Hello, everyone. And again, as Chris mentioned, it's good to see you here. And it really is. I feel like clapping for you guys. Uh, You can clap for me if you'd like, so okay. (laughs) And for those uh, in the fellowship hall, uh, we're mindful of you too. And those watching online, uh, welcome. If you're a guest with us, we're delighted. You are here at Woodside. Uh, In just a moment, we're gonna be talking about learning to respond uh, with our anger uh, in a way that honors God, that represents the one we're following, Jesus, and that leads to Better relationships. But before we do, just a couple of notes. First of all, as Chris mentioned in the first service, we had a young mom baptized, and uh, you can uh, view that online if you'd like. Just a wonderful testimony of what God's been doing in her life. And we're planning a baptism in the second service. We had to reschedule it, but we're hoping next week uh, you'll be able to witness a baptism. So we look forward to that. And uh, secondly, I'd like to pray. Uh, in our church family, um, Jason and Laura Freeman, uh, we want to pray for them and their family, Jason, Saturday morning very early, uh, had an accident at work and he was rushed to Hamilton and he has a skull fracture, a um, spine fracture, facial fracture, um, uh, broken vertebrae, uh, yeah, maybe vertebrae, ribs, uh, so he's in very rough shape. But we are very grateful. Um, that God spared him, but we want to lift him and his family up. And uh, as well, uh, this month, October, is Pregnancy and Infancy Loss Awareness Month, and we want to lift up the moms and the dads in our church family uh, that have lost a child due to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or SIDS. So I'm going to invite you to join with me as we pray, and then we'll look into God's Word. Lord, as was mentioned, you are here with us, you know us, you love us, and we are grateful. We praise you. And Lord, right now we lift up Jason uh, to you. Lord, thank you for sparing him. And we're asking that even now you begin to heal his body of these uh, many fractures. Lord, give the, the doctors and nurses wisdom as they treat him. And Lord, we're praying for his recovery. Uh, We pray for Jason and for Laura, Lord, that you would continue to give them faith to keep trusting you even in the midst of this. We pray that your joy would be their strength. So surround them, we pray. And then, Lord, we also pray uh, for those that have lost a a young uh, baby. Um, Lord, you are close to the brokenhearted. And uh, we pray for all these moms and dads uh, that they will continue to trust you Lord, draw near to each of them and help them, give them the faith to believe that you do have a purpose and a plan, and, um, and we just commit them to your care. And we pray this all in your name, amen. How many of you are struggling with feelings of anger? You're in church? Raise your hand. Okay. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, our culture was on a trajectory of becoming more and more angry, and COVID-19 has only exasperated the situation. And so there's a lot of people in our world that are angry. There's people that are enraged, furious, incensed, upset, fed up, antagonistic, aggressive. There's angry people. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you too get angry. But the question is, what are you doing with that anger? A number of Christians with this pandemic and our response to it uh, are on different sides. And as you've heard at Woodside, we make a place for your view wherever you are on the spectrum. Um, but I know I've, I've heard of, of many Christians who um, uh, aren't vaccinated and, and you know, who have said um, concerns with government, concerns with pharmaceutical companies and cover-up, uh, concerns, medical concerns, and uh, so haven't taken, um, haven't gotten vaccinated. And then I hear on this side, people that have been vaccinated uh, and uh, and then... Uh, you know, why isn't everybody vaccinated? So, we've got all people and all parts of the spectrum. And I would say to those of, of us that have been vaccinated, we would uh, look at those that haven't and, and um, realize that they are caring and they're not crazy. They've got reasons. But those on this side, that you would look at those of us that have been vaccinated and, and realize that, that uh, there's Christians who haven't sold out to the government, who are not liberal. Um, Uh, and following the ways of the world. So there needs to be understanding on both sides. But I will say this, is as a Christian, you can't let your anger lead you to sin. There are Christians in our culture who because of their view are justifying unloving behavior. And that is not what the one we're following wants. He was known as one who loves. If you're following Jesus, that's what you're called to. Did he get angry? Yes. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple as we begin a new series. What if everything Jesus said was true? Uh, he flipped over a few tables. How many you just like you envision that? Wouldn't that be awesome? I just uh, let me flip a few tables. But Jesus did it in a way that honored the Father. He didn't sin. It had to do with divine justice. It had to do with a love for people. And so he responded that way. But typically we respond in a way that's associated with personal vengeance. We're told in scripture that as fathers of Jesus that in our anger we're not to sin that in our anger, we're not to let it go down, let the sun go down on it, not to carry it around, not to let the sun go down on it, and not to give the devil a foothold. If you're an angry person, you've opened the door for the enemy that wants to destroy you, wants to destroy your relationships, wants to destroy your marriage. You've given him a place to do his work. So we have to deal with anger. So we're in this series, Emotions and Relationships, And we're looking in the Psalms because the Psalms are full of expressions of emotions. We've looked at uh, guilt and shame, stress and anxiety. Last week was uh, thankfulness and bitterness. Uh, Next week is sadness, and then the last week is fear. But today we're talking about anger and dealing with that in a way that honors God, represents Jesus, the one we're following, and leads to better relationship. So as we begin, I want to remind you that anger, like other emotions, in and of itself is not bad. It's what you do with it. Your emotions are like a vehicle, and your anger can move you away from God and people to sin, or your anger, you can allow it to move you towards God, towards people, and an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. So that's what we want today, moving towards God and people. And today we're going to look at an angry psalm of the 150 psalms. There are praise psalms, thanksgiving songs, and lament psalms. And in those lament psalms, uh, there are what we refer to as imprecatory psalms, angry psalms. Uh, And imprecation is where the psalmist calls for God to judge someone, to almost God that there would be a curse on that person. They're angry psalms. And uh, we don't tend to read those in church, right? And today we're going to look at a psalm that David wrote. We read his psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. Today we're looking at psalm 109, and uh, David, can I say it? He's ripped. He's livid. He's angry. So we're going to look at how he processed his anger And we're going to look at how we process our anger and what it looks like in our relationship. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 109, what we know as an angry psalm. And we're going to pick it up here where David, uh, at the beginning of the psalm, is saying, God, I've done good to people and they've returned evil to me. And he's looking at his enemies, but he's got one person in focus. And he's talking to God about this person. He's praying to God about this person. So we're going to begin in Psalm 109 and verse 6 part of David's prayer. Get an evil person to turn against him. Send an accuser to bring him to trial. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. May his family name be blotted out in the next generation." that's not how we learn to pray oh lord i'm praying for this person that's wronged me i'm praying that you wouldn't give him a a chance to redeem himself that in the court he'd be found guilty i'm praying that even his prayers he's such a bad person his prayers would be counted Uh, you know, a sin. I pray that you make his children orphans and his wife a widow. I pray that you destroy his home and make him a beggar. I pray that you take away all he has. I pray that you'd make sure that no one is nice to him. I pray you'd bring an end to his family. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Right? We don't pray that way. David is angry. Now, who's he angry against? Who's this person that he's so upset with? Well, there's speculation, but many believe it's the person found in 1 Samuel 25. His name is Nabal. And I'd like to look at this story of David and Nabal. And uh, to give context, David, as as you know, killed Goliath of Philistine, and he's a hero in uh, the land of Israel. This is 3,000 years ago. And uh, the people love david and they want to make him king the present king the first king saul uh, is paranoid and like many rulers in our world still today they will do Anything to hold on to power. They will kill people, genocide, whatever it is. So David is paranoid and he tries to take David's life. David flees and uh, he's got 600 men that are loyal to him with him and they're in the wilderness in the southern part of Israel, kind of the area that Abraham spent some time in, out going from wandering from cave to cave, living off the land, um, uh, just wandering around, you know, staying off the grid so Saul doesn't find him, and there in the wilderness, David has a run-in with this man called Nabal. So we'll pick up the story, 1 Samuel 25, if you have a Bible or device, you can turn there, and I'm going to begin in verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So we've got this beautiful woman, arranged marriage. She's in a marriage with this guy who is surly. He's harsh. Uh, mean in his dealings has the idea he, he um, is dishonest. He cheats people. He uses people. That's the idea here. David in Psalm 109 speaks of him um, wearing cursing as a garment. He's a person that is just evil. He's misogynistic, sexist, racist, the whole package. He's just a bad guy. Verse 4, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal, peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration. Please share any provisions you might have had on hand with us and with your friend David. So David makes a request. In that day, 3,000 years ago, uh, in the wilderness uh, in the south of Israel, but in parts of the Middle East where there was desert, uh, you would have bandits, people that would rob people, assault people. And they'd get away with it. In fact, at the time of Jesus, it was still happening. And David says to Nabal, listen, when we were going cave to cave, we saw your your shepherds with your possessions, and we didn't take one single sheep. We helped look after them, make sure nobody stole from them. And now, would you be so kind? It's sheep-shearing season, just to to give us a little something to eat. Here's Nabal's response. Verse 9, David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Nabal knows exactly David is. Everyone in Israel knows who David is. He's the hero. He defeated Goliath. He's the one that the prophet Samuel anointed the next king of Israel. And this man, Nabal means fool in Hebrew, this man not only says, I'm not giving you any of my food, he does it in a very offensive and demeaning way. You see, Nabal's used to treating people like that. That's who he was. But David is not used to be treating, treated like that. Verse 12. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. We all like justice, right? This is in the movie. Get your sword, boys, we're going, right? Get your swords. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So David is angry. Again, it's okay to feel anger, but you're not to sin in your anger. David is in a vehicle, and he's heading with that feeling towards sin. Four levels identified with anger. The first is annoyance, frustration, hostility, and then rage. Where's David? Guess what? He's level four, right? He is livid. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. Why was he so upset about being mistreated? Probably due to the fact of something we call mis, um, a transferred anger, where we transfer anger onto someone, right? David has been living um, you know, off the grid with 600 men for months. I don't know about you, but that would put me on edge. He's been fleeing Saul, and Saul, um, David, he's the king, so, so David's not going ki- to kill the king. And he's got this, these feelings towards Saul. And then Nabal comes along, and a lot of them are transferred on Nabal. I can do something with this guy. I'm going to kill him and his whole family. I just want to say to you parents in particular, if you don't deal in, our, in the right way with your anger at work or with people out in our community, it is so easy when you have a child that does something to upset you, to let some of that anger be transferred onto them. And anger is always a a destructive thing when it leads to sin. So David is just angry. And again, when you're heading down that road, because we all tend to kind of like, I want to go there. uh, You may be uh, a person who uses open aggression where you raise your voice or you yell or you scream or you pound a wall or you pound your fist, you call the person a name, you just blow up. That's open aggression. But you also may go down that road with passive aggression where you're passive aggression, aggressive where uh, someone does you wrong and you don't throw things. But you start to shut that person out, withhold things, silent from it, you're just going to do it your way. Heading down that road towards sin. So that's where David is going. Verse 14. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. That's the problem with people that don't deal with anger. They're so angry, so sensitive, so defensive that nobody can talk to them. You're never safe around an angry person because you don't know if they're ever going to blow up or when they're going to blow up. Nobody can talk to this Nabal. What's Abigail's response when she gets the news that David's coming with a sword? Verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. You've got to love Abigail. I mean, these men are marching towards the estate. They're going to slaughter everybody. And she thinks, I'm going to make some Chick-fil-A sandwiches, chicken sandwiches for everybody. eat, Eat to your heart's content, right? I don't know about you, but when I eat one of those chicken sandwiches, I'm a changed man. They're just so good. She prepares the food. She gets on her donkey. She rides out to meet David. Verse 20, as she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his young men coming toward her. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. So David is just rehearsing over and over again the wrong done to him, right? When we're going down that road towards sin with our sword, man, they did that to me. I was good, and they repaid me with evil, and and I'm justified in my anger. I've got to let them have it. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. He was going to be the future king. That's what you did in that day. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. And then now, Abigail is going to speak to David and help David to get perspective. She's going to help David to reframe everything that's happened with God in the equation. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to become the person God made you to become, you have to daily be reframing everything, bringing God into all your circumstances, bringing God into your shame and guilt, bringing God into your stress and anxiety, bringing God into your bitterness and your fear and your sadness, and bringing God into your anger. Seven times, she's going to bring the Lord to mind for David. Look what she says. Verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. "'Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. "'The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty "'for you are fighting the Lord's battles "'and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. "'Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, "'your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, "'secure in his treasure pouch.'" but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David is overheated. He's going with his sword. Abigail stops him and brings God into this situation. David... Things are not as they seem. Yeah, it looks like Nabal's getting away with everything, but David, God's got a plan. He's called you to be king. He's called you to a lasting dynasty. And David, God will protect you. And it's brilliant what she does with the sling. She brings up that metaphor. She says, David, remember when you had your sling and you shot that stone, killed Goliath? Do you remember when God protected you then at that time? he's going to protect you now. David, don't sin in your anger. David, surrender your anger to him. He's in charge. He's got you. What's David's response? Verse 32, David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband." We all need Abigails in our lives. We need to be an Abigail. When we're emotionally engaged with anger, uh, both sides of our brain are engaged and we tend to be irrational and we have to take a time out and at the proper time, someone needs to speak rationally to us. Hey, don't send that email. Don't respond that way. Hey, don't post that. That is not good hey, don't say that to that person. You'll regret it. Hey, don't do that. That's what Abigail does to David. And here's how the story ends. Verse 36, when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. Again, it was sheep shearing season, very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin, just his life of just mistreating people. He's received the punishment. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. Spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens, close your ears. But she says yes. At the end of Psalm 109, verses 30 and 31, David Says this, but I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. This angry psalm that starts with David so full of anger, feeling angry, moving towards sin, in the end ends with David worshiping God. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands, I'm not going to kill with the sword. But Lord, I'm inviting you into my anger. I'm surrendering it to you. So today, what do we do with these feelings of anger? How do we battle them? And the key is this we surrender our anger to God. Now, that, I want to talk about that for a few minutes, but you surrender your anger to God. Like David, you bring all of your anger and you lay it out before God the good, the bad, the ugly. And as you're doing that, you're saying, Lord, What is it I'm so angry about? In a sense, you're doing an angry audit. Sometimes we need people to help us, but again, anger is a secondary emotion. So you see the tip of the iceberg, but there's always something underneath. What's causing you to be so angry? What is it? There's unmet longings that we have, and, and what is it that's causing you to be angry? And you bring it all to God, and you say, God, I feel like lashing out. God, you know what he did to me or she did to me or you know how they're mistreating me or they're lying about me. You know how unreasonable they are and you lay it all out and you say, Lord, I don't want to be defined by my anger. I don't want to be controlled by my anger. I want to be free of it. Oh, Lord, and you're inviting him in to your anger. You're surrendering to him. You're realizing it's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith But surrendering your anger means that you're trusting that God will do what is right. As you give it to Him, you're saying, God, I believe that you're gonna take care of this for me. Now that doesn't mean that with the person that's wronged you that you don't confront them or bring some along to confront them. It doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that sometimes, even legally, charges need to be pressed. But what it does mean is that you're not taking matters into your own hand, carrying your sword, and I'm just going to be miserable and do wrong to get back. You trust that God will do what is right. David felt those things, but he never did take the sword and kill I want to pause for a moment. Can we pray in precatory psalms like David did? Well, on the one hand, yes, in a sense, we can pray for divine justice. God, you see what's wrong. You see how we've been wrong. Lord, I'm praying for justice. But you also realize that the one you're following, Jesus, doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to repent, to come to their senses, to turn to Him. And that's why He says to you and me to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse, curse you, to pray for those that mistreat you. Because you don't want to kill them with a sword. You're praying for justice, but you want to show grace and mercy to them. And if you're going to believe that God will take care of whatever it is you're going through, you've done all you can, but you've got to do something with your feelings. You've got to come to understand that Jesus is angry alongside of you. In fact, Jesus is angrier about what's happened to you than you are. Jesus is infinitely holy, infinitely loving, and he has to judge sin. Wrath is not a characteristic of Jesus. A wrath is an expression of his love and his holiness. He has to judge sin. He has to judge anything that's not in line with his character. So do you understand that? that Jesus is angry alongside of you. Let him be angry on your behalf. And if you're here and you're thinking, you know, that person's going to get away with it, in the end, give it to God. He will deal with it. And we look around our world, there are lots of Nabals out there, right? And it looks like they're getting away with everything. There are world leaders, there are people in positions of power that just seem like they're getting away with everything. They're like Nabal. Psalm 14.1, David says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. And the context of that that statement is not so much intellectual because God has given us enough evidence all around us and within us that that he exists, but we can suppress that. So it's not intellectual, it's moral. There's a lot of neighbors in our world thinking, I can do what I want. I'm not going to be held to an account. There's no God that's going to judge me. So you have to realize all is not as it seems. That's what scripture says over and over again, that I'm going to give it to God, this anger. So I'm giving it to him, trusting he's going to do what's right, but then also I'm embracing a life of grace and mercy. That just like Jesus isn't characterized by his anger, he's characterized by his love, by his grace, his mercy, that Lord, you're going to help me to do that. I want to lash out, but Lord, I want to be gracious and merciful. What does that look like? Help me. I want to talk just for a moment about what this looks like in relationships, in particular marriage. Um, but if you're not married, this applies to close relationships. Uh, so let's look at what ha- how this looks like in, in marriage. Um, in close relationships, so in something like marriage, um, you're going to be annoyed. You're going to be frustrated. There's going to be times that you might feel angry. Okay, that's that's what it's like there's challenges in marriage just like they're challenges in any close relationship and for um many of us as we experience those challenges sometimes we need to take a time out in your marriage if you are angry or your spouse is angry and you start to talk a time out sometimes is good again so that you can disengage the one part of your brain, so you can be a little more rational, you can gain perspective and you can re-engage in the conversation without being hostile. But, but you're gonna have annoyances and frustrations in your, in your marriage. And what's the go-to emotion of men? And this is documented by research. Anybody wanna guess? What's the go-to emotion of men when they're in a situation with their spouse, when things aren't going good? Anger right? Because, and again, research bears this out. Let me, I don't want to get in trouble here. Um, sometimes there's certain women that, that maybe express more emotions, have more emotions than maybe you do as a guy. And what do you do? How do you handle all those emotions when things aren't going good? You use anger, power, control. It's not good. We have to learn, especially as men, but women too, learn how to show grace and mercy. So, I want to share four elements um, that are involved in conversations where someone's angry that you want to have in your marriage. If you're married, number one is cooperation, you want to have a cooperative spirit. When you approach your spouse, it's with the, the mindset of a win-win solution. That's what you're all about. It's not win and lose. Listen, if you win the argument and your spouse loses the argument, you lose. You want to work towards mutual benefit. So you have that mindset. It's not like you did this and you did this. It's you, I feel this when this happened. People, research shows in relationships that use the word we... Um, that they find solutions quicker than people that don't. So a cooperative spirit, we need to talk about this. We need to address this cooperative spirit. Second is ownership, where you both as spouses, you realize that you're responsible for your behavior. And you may say, I'm not at fault at all in this issue, but you need to own your response to it as well. In other words, you're not shifting blame all the time. You know, it's, it's all you, but you're, you're trying to work together, owning uh, your part of it. Um, and pride is the big killer there. If you're a proud person, you're not gonna own anything. It's always the other person's fault. Third element, when someone's angry in your marriage, is respect. And respect means you refuse to disrespect your partner by belittling them, by minimizing their, their words, or, Um, invalidating how they feel or controlling them, or, drum roll please, disrespecting them by rolling your eyes. It's a big one. Fourth, empathy. And this is the key, if you could get anything, this is the one you want in your marriage. You learn to see, to put yourself in your spouse's shoes and learn to see the issue from their perspective. Research shows 90% of marital spats can be resolved if the spouses learn to put themselves in the shoes of their partner and help them to see. Now to do that, I wanna encourage you to realize and to understand and to seek to better understand that your, your spouse is different from you. Different from you. This was a game changer for Lisa and myself. When we understood that we not only were different gender, different background, but we had different personalities, and I may have mentioned this before. But when I read like 10 statements about Lisa's personality, I was like, that's her. Wow. How do you know how she acts and how, what she thinks? Then we read like 10 statements about my personality. Ooh, I confess, that's me. And it has helped me to better understand, ooh, this is how she's wired, and oh, that's how he's wired. And John and Julie Gottman, um, who've done extensive research on marriages, um, have said that in their research, 69% of problems in marriage are unsolvable. In other words, the problems are perpetual. In other words, there's no right and wrong it's just simply that you see things differently, and so you've got to learn to compromise. And again, that was a game changer for us. As, as I, we thought about the things we, we you know, um, talked about and that were challenges to us, it wasn't like, do you now see, honey? I'm right and you're wrong. Or, or she was right and I was wrong. It was like, neither of us are wrong. We're just different. And learning to put ourselves in each other's Choose, embrace a life of grace and mercy. You, you want those things in your marriage. And Let me just share with you, too. Um, for me, I've grown in this area. Lisa has said to me, over the years, on occasion, you're angry. And I would respond to her, I'm not angry. Is my face red? Am I throwing anything? I'm not angry. I usually speak in my conversation with my wife, had like volume three, an easy to listen to volume. And I confess, there's times that maybe it's a four. At the most, it's a five. But to her, it was an eight or a nine. And I had to learn how to respond to these these challenges, how to respond with the right tone, to respond uh, in a way that honored God. And I've changed. I've arrived. I'm the perfect husband. Not quite there. It's ongoing. But I'm moving in the right direction towards God and to my wife. And to help me do that, I took up my phone. This was a few years ago. And on my calendar, I put a memo to myself about being gentle about being a safe person because I want my wife to be safe. I want my kids to be safe. I want to listen to understand, not to reply. And I put that reminder day after day. I'd move it to the next day and then the next day. And Lord, help me with this. And now it's week to week. I'm getting better. It could be almost month to month soon. Not quite there. But I want to be gentle with my wife. Why? Why go to all that work? Because the one that I'm following, Jesus, is gentle. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, a, a fantastic book, says that when you look at the life of Jesus with his ministry, his miracles, the only time that he refers to his heart is in Matthew 11. And what does he say? I'm gentle and lowly in heart i'm not trigger happy i'm not harsh i'm not reactionary i'm not easily exasperated i am gentle and i am lowly in heart i'm humble in heart my arms are open my arms are welcome and when i realize that that's how jesus feels towards me even when i don't have it together that he's always gentle and merciful. He doesn't have a sword ready to get me. He has a love that I can't comprehend. That when I allow that, it begins to change me from the inside out. When you look at Jesus in the Gospels, in his life, he had many opportunities to take the sword and let people have it. Think about the Pharisees they did wrong to Jesus. They lied about him, spat upon him. Think about Pilate, and Herod, and Judas, and even Peter. They all did wrong to him, but he didn't take out the sword and get them back. He was gentle and lowly, and instead, in his love for them, he died on the cross for them. He had every right to let them have it, but he didn't. And when I look at my life, Jesus has every right to let me have it. You're paying for your sins. But Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. He continues to forgive me of my sins. And so as I live my life, when I feel angry, I wanna represent him. And if I fail, I'm gonna confess it. But Lord, begin to change me. I wanna be gentle and lowly in heart like you are. I wanna ask you today, how are you doing? with feelings of anger and if you're holding on to it if you're like I'm justified you can go to your grave like that but you won't experience the power and the nearness of Jesus instead today would you turn and say Lord as best as I can I want to surrender my anger to you I want to you take it I want to believe that you're going to do what is right and Lord help me to be merciful and gracious and that may mean that you need to reach out to someone and talk to someone we have a care support ministry here or a friend but deal with your anger if you're really struggling with it today sound doctrine when we understand who Jesus is in the Bible sound doctrine will always lead us to be more loving gracious and merciful not less and so when we see people out in our world Christians who are saying you know we need to be antagonistic and they're just in your face Sorry they've got the wrong Jesus. He's lowly of heart. He's gentle. Would you join with me as we pray? With your heads bowed and those of you watching at home, would you take a moment and would you right now talk to God about your anger? If you're doing well, say, Lord, I want to continue to respond in a healthy way. But if you're not, would you confess it and ask him to help? for you you've called us to reflect you to other people and so Lord I lift up our Woodside Church family and any guests that are here any guests watching at home Lord we've heard from your word would you work in our hearts Lord we can respond in a healthier way help us we pray we need you and we pray this for your glory and our good and the good of others